Our text this morning is the whole of uh, the second chapter of Ruth, and the title of the sermon is The Goodness and the Faithfulness of Our God. The Goodness and the Faithfulness of Our God. Now, thus far in the book of Ruth, we have seen Naomi's family experiencing the opposite of what the other Israelites in the Promised Land had been experiencing. Chapter 1 began with a famine in the land, and especially in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And to escape this emptiness or this lack of food, Elimelech, Naomi and their two sons left the house of bread to go to Moab to find their fullness. Sadly, while they did find physical food, they experienced a different kind of emptiness. Elimelech died and his two sons each took to them a pagan Moabite wife. Then before their marriages could produce any offspring, both the sons died. Naomi experienced a very painful kind of emptiness and her prospects for the future were not good. So during those 10 years or so that they were away, Naomi went from fullness to emptiness. Meanwhile, the author of Ruth informs us that there was now bread again in the promised land. In fact, when Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem at the end of chapter 1, we are told that it was the beginning of the barley harvest. So whereas the city of Bethlehem had gone from emptiness to fullness in these past 10 years, Naomi's family had gone from fullness to emptiness. But things were about to change for Naomi. And the two persons that were very instrumental in that change would be Ruth and Boaz. We may divide this passage into three parts, each of them focusing on one of the three main characters of the book. First, from verses 1 to 7, we see Ruth working diligently in Boaz's field. Then 8 to 16, Boaz deals very kindly with Ruth. And finally, 17 to 23, we find Naomi speaking accurately about their situation. First, Ruth works diligently in Boaz's field. The author begins by telling us something that Ruth herself at this point did not even know about and Naomi too probably did not even remember. We are told that Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. His name, Boaz. And Boaz probably means strength. And he is described as a man of wealth. The word wealth can be also translated substance or valor or courage. Indeed, more than just being a man of wealth, Boaz was a man of substance and of valor and courage. So having introduced us to this crucial character, the author continues in verse 2 with Ruth seeking permission from Naomi to go out and to get some food for the both of them by gleaning. The law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 19 makes provisions for those who are poor to still have food through labour. The activity of gleaning may be distinguished from the ordinary work of harvesting, but it is nevertheless a form of work, very hard work. So the poor in those days were not to simply depend on handouts from the government or from the state or other institutions. And as an aside, we note that this concept of providing for the needy through providing them work to do 
rather than simply giving free food or money is a principle which all governments and states would do well to adopt. So farmers in those days were required by law to leave the corners or the edges of their fields unharvested so that the poor may be able to go to those areas of the field in order to find something. Furthermore, the farmer is not to pick up what has fallen to the ground of itself or what was accidentally dropped by the harvesters in the process of farming or reaping. These things were to be left to the poor gleaners who came behind them and who gathered after them. The phrase in verse 1, in whose sight I shall find grace, suggests that in those days not all landowners were so kind and gracious to the poor who had come to glean. And Ruth, being a woman and being a foreigner, was, an e was in an even more disadvantaged and vulnerable position. Not only could she be ill-treated by unfriendly landowners, but she could also be ill-treated and bullied by fellow gleaners who might push her to the back of the line, as it were, so that by the time it was her turn to glean, there would have been nothing much left. And so by stepping out to glean, Ruth was really making herself vulnerable, not just for her own sake, but for the sake of Naomi as well, since Naomi was too old and frail to work in the field. Then we are told in verse 3, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now the phrase, her hap was to light, is literally her chance, chanced. We could translate the verse as, she happened by chance to come to the part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Some years ago, our family went to Star Vista Mall for dinner, and my sister and three of her friends from their church just happened to be having dinner at the same mall, but at a different restaurant. So after dinner, we were walking around, and we run, ran into their group, and we stood there for a while talking. I know all of them quite well. We, we all grew up in the same church uh, many years ago. But while we were talking, the husband of one of the ladies in the group arrived to fetch his wife. And I know him quite well as well. He, in fact, is the current pastor of their church. And he asked if we had all arranged to, beforehand to meet at that place. And I said, no, we, we met by chance. And immediately all of them went, oh, and they shook their heads in mock disapproval. It was meant to be a joke, of course, uh, and, and they knew it. We, we go back a long way, and I'm thankful that they all likewise believe in the sovereign providence of God. But in hindsight, I really should have told them, or really quoted to them, Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, because the Bible itself says that it was by chance that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. She chanced, chanced. Now, the author of Ruth was not, of course, denying the doctrine of God's sovereignty and of providence, but rather he was really trying to emphasize this point, that Ruth did not intentionally go to that field. After all, being new to Bethlehem, she had no clue or no idea whose field 
would be a good one to go to. And so she had no obvious reason to pick one field over another. And yet of all the fields in that place, she ended up in Boessus. From the world's point of view, it was a stroke of sheer good fortune and luck that she chanced upon the place of Boaz. But from a scriptural point of view, it was nothing less than divine appointment. Ruth must have gone out that morning, trusting in the Lord to guide and to protect her and provide for her. But the Lord did all of that and much more. He guided her footsteps so that she unwittingly walked to just the place where she would find protection and provision, not just for a couple of days, but for the rest of her life. And it is at this point in the narrative that Boaz is introduced. The author uses the word behold in verse 4 to draw our attention to something significant. It is as if he said, look, take careful note of what is about to happen. Boaz, the one who I just told you about, has arrived from Bethlehem and the timing of his arrival could not have been better. When he came to his workers at the field, the first thing he said to them was, the Lord be with you, meaning to say, may the Lord be with you, my workers, may he cause you to know his presence in all that you are doing. And his employees immediately answered their boss, the Lord bless thee, following the pattern of the ironic benediction. So just from the way Boaz interacted with his workers, we get an indication not only of his godly character, but also of the godly working environment in his field. Next, we are told that Boaz asked one of his young men, whom we might call the foreman or the supervisor, whose damsel is this? Whose Daughter or wife is she? I've never seen her before. Which clan or tribe does she come from? Boaz must have been surveying the situation when he noticed someone whom he had never seen before and he wanted to find out more. Boaz, you see, was the kind of employer whom everyone would have wanted to work for. He was kind to his workers. He took a genuine interest in their, in their matters and so on. Well, in verses 6 and 7, the supervisor not only answered his question, but he also told Boaz about his earlier conversation that he had with Ruth that morning. She is that young Moabitish woman who had returned from Moab uh, with Naomi. This morning she came to me and asked for my permission to glean and to gather among the sheaves. I gave her permission and you know what? She has been working really hard all morning until now, taking only a short rest in the shelter. Well, this brings us to the second section where Boaz deals very kindly with Ruth. Having heard what his foreman said, Boaz spoke directly to Ruth and she said, verses 8 and 9, Hearest thou not, or listen, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, Neither go from thence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Notice Boaz calls her daughter, which perhaps suggests that he was much older than her. And not only that, but 
Boaz felt a sense of responsibility toward her as if he, uh, she was his real daughter. Bo- Ruth may have been a Moabite, but that did not prevent Boaz from showing her kindness and respect and even offering her protection. Boaz instructed her not to glean in another field, but to stay in his and to attach herself to his female servants who would take care of her. Furthermore, she does not need to be afraid of harassment from the male workers because he had charged them not to bother or take advantage of her. And finally, he says when she was thirsty, and surely she would be because of all the the hard work, when she was thirsty, she could freely drink from the water that his men had drawn from the well. Uh, She did not need to leave his field in search of water to drink. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to to us, uh, but in their culture, it was. You see, normally it was the women who drew water for the men, not the other way around. We see that in the Bible itself, in Genesis 24, for example, where Rebekah and the other women went out of the city to draw water from the well. Furthermore, remember that Ruth was a foreigner, a Moabite, and foreigners were expected to serve the locals and not the other way round. So Boaz was showing extraordinary kindness to Ruth by allowing her to drink water that is drawn by his men. No wonder we read in verse 10, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground, just totally overwhelmed with what Boaz had said. This was way above all her expectations and hopes when she left for work that morning. And this reminds us of what the Apostle Paul tells us of our gracious God in Ephesians chapter 3, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ruth then said to Boaz, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a stranger or a foreigner? Boaz answered, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, the land of thy nativity, and come unto a people which thou knewest not. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Boaz continues to to show kindness to her and even honours her by the way he answers her question. He explains that he had heard all about her, how she did not abandon her mother-in-law after the death of her husband, uh, but instead she left her own parents, her own homeland, to go with her to a people that she did not know before. No doubt this took great courage, great faith and great commitment. It reminds us somewhat of what Abraham did many years ago when the Lord called him to leave his home country, his kindred, his father's house and so on, to go to a land which he did not know. Boaz recognised this and so he made mention of her faith in the Lord God of Israel. The, The phrase, under whose wings thou art come to trust, is a very beautiful phrase. The imagery is drawn from a mother bird that is spreading her wings over her little defenseless chicks 
to protect them from all harm and danger. The picture of finding refuge under God's wings is picked up and expanded on by the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth in the number of his psalms. For example, in Psalm 57, 1, In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge under, until these calamities be overpassed. And again in Psalm 91, He, Jehovah, shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. David's great-grandmother was a shining example of trusting in the Lord, finding refuge and shelter under his almighty wings. By leaving Moab and, and going to Israel, Ruth was in effect forsaking the shelter of Chemosh, the Moabite god, and transferring her full allegiance and her trust to the God of Israel. And so in light of her faith and of her obedience, Boaz pronounces a benediction upon her. The Lord recompense or the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here we're reminded of the principle in Proverbs, isn't it? Proverbs 19, 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will the Lord pay him again. Ruth then said in verse 13, Let me find favour in thy sight, my Lord. Uh, the phrase is most likely an expression of gratitude uh, and can be translated, You have been favourable to me. And then she goes on to give two reasons for her gratitude. First, because he has comforted her in the sense of providing relief and assurance and secondly, because he had spoken kindly unto her. These were probably the first kind words that anyone had spoken to her since her arrival in Israel. The phrase, though I be not like one of thine handmaidens, really draws attention to the wide gap in social status or standing between someone like Boaz and someone like Ruth. Previously, she had mentioned already that she was a stranger or a foreigner, but now she highlights the fact that she was not even one of his lowly servant girls. And so from a racial and a social point of view, Ruth ought not to have been the recipient of such kindness. Boaz's kindness to her went beyond the boundaries of race and class and gender. Again, we today may not think very much of these things, but in those days and in that culture, these differences, these class distinctions were very significant. One could say that Boaz was way ahead of his time in terms of how he sliced through these barriers. But much more than that, Boaz was really being an instrument of the Lord to bless her and to do her good. Or as one commentator puts it beautifully, he says, the wings of God are embodied in the person of Boaz. The wings of God embodied in the person of Boaz. Verse 14, Boaz said to her, At mealtime, come up hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed 
and left. Most likely, there's a gap of several hours between verse 13 and verse 14. After Ruth had spoken the words of verse 13, she went back to the field, but now it's lunchtime, and Boaz says to her in verse 14, come over here. See, what happened was that at lunchtime, all the laborers of Boaz would, would come together for their midday meal, whereas the gleaners, or those who were not his hired laborers, had to find their own food. So Ruth was probably at that point sitting some distance away from Boaz and his workers. And given her poor economic condition, it's likely that she had brought nothing with her for lunch because there was little or nothing in their house. Now Boaz could have simply instructed one of his servants to take some food and give it to her. But he does much more. He invites her over to eat with them. Again, we must remember that in the ancient Near East, having a meal together was symbolic of fellowship and of hospitality. Boaz was really extending friendship and hospitality to this lowly foreign woman from Moab. But that was not all. He gave her bread and invited her to dip her morsel in vinegar, which probably refers to a, a sour sauce or condiment to, to moisten and to add taste to the bread. And then when she had taken a seat among the workers, we are told that Boaz himself served her with parched corn or roasted grain. And not only that, but he gave her more than enough roasted grain so that when she had eaten her fill, she still had some left over to bring back to Naomi. Again, if we consider their poor condition, it wouldn't be surprising if this was Ruth's first full meal in a quite a long while. Surely she wasn't expecting something like that on her first day of work as a poor gleaner. Well, lunchtime was over, and uh, just after she had gotten up to return to the field to work, Boaz says to his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. We could say that Boaz shows kindness to Ruth even behind her back without her knowledge. Previously, he had told his men not to bother her. But now he goes further. He instructs them to let her glean even among the sheaves which was not the usual practice. And not only that, but they were to purposely pull out some stalks from their bundles that they had gathered and drop them on the ground so that she could gather up after them. Clearly, Boaz is going way beyond even the requirements of the law with regard to gleaning. We do not know if Ruth was aware of what was going on behind her back as she continued laboring diligently for the rest of the day, and her labors were richly rewarded. Which brings us to the third and final section where Naomi speaks accurately about their condition. Verse 17 tells us that at the end of the day, Ruth beat out or threshed the barley that she had gathered. Threshing is basically the process of, of loosening the, the edible parts of the, of the grain from the inedible chaff that, that surrounds it. Then she measured out the grain that she had threshed and it amounted to one ephah, which is a, a measure of volume. Scholars 
are not agreed to the exact size of an FR, estimates range from 22 to 36 litres. And depending on the quality or if you like the density of the grain, an FR could weigh between 13 to 22 kilograms, which is nothing short of amazing for just one day's work. This would have been enough supplies for Ruth and Naomi for several weeks. To put it in modern terms so that we can better appreciate what is going on, it's like if you go out on your first day of work and you come home with $1,000, imagine $1,000 for the first day of work. That would be a huge amount for most people, let alone for a poor widow from a foreign land. Actually, to be more accurate, the analogy should be something like coming home with $1,000 after your first day of job search. Remember that Ruth, when she left home that morning, she didn't even have a job. And she wasn't sure if she would be able to bring home anything at all. But now here she is, with in her hands anything between 13 to 20 kilograms of barley. Verse 18 says that she took what she had collected and went back to the city and she gave it to her mother-in-law. And not only that, but she gave Naomi the roasted grain that was left over from lunch, which means that Naomi had something to eat straight away without even having to light the fire. No wonder Naomi is stunned. She exclaimed in verse 19, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And Ruth replied, the, man, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And when Naomi heard his name, she immediately erupted with a further blessing. Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. So Boaz is blessed not only because he has taken notice and shown such kindness to a poor widow, but he has been an instrument of the Lord's kindness to their family. The word translated kindness in verse 20 is the word hasset, which speaks of God's covenant mercies or his covenant loving kindness to his people. The covenant God has shown his covenant loving kindness to them through the person of Boaz. The word living in verse 20 refers to Naomi and Ruth, while the word dead in verse 20 refers to Elimelech and his two sons, Marlon and Chilion. The covenant God had not forgotten their family, whether those who were alive or those who had already passed away. Their family deserved to be cut off and abandoned because of their sin of abandoning the promised land. But the Lord in his covenant mercy did not forsake them. That's what Naomi is really saying in verse 20. But that's not all. She goes on to tell Ruth, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. You see, God's covenant kindness to them as a family is not simply found in those 13 or more kilograms of barley, which is an, in itself an amazing provision but it's also found in the fact that by God's amazing providence, he had brought them into contact with just the right person, the one who would deliver them from their miserable estate. 
Boaz was not just a generous landowner who happened to show kindness to Ruth. He is also a close relative and one of their kinsmen redeemers. Well, Ruth could sense Naomi's excitement. And so she goes on to say in verse 21, And she said to me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. In other words, what happened that day was not a one-off thing. It would last until at least the end of the harvest. Naomi then told Ruth that she should continue to go to Boaz's field lest she be harmed in someone else's field. And finally, the chapter ends with these words, So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Ruth follows Naomi's advice and indeed Boaz's instruction not to go to anyone else's field to work, but to stay close to his maidens and to glean in his field unto the end of the harvest. Which means that Ruth would have gleaned in his field for about six to seven weeks from late April to early June. Now we don't know if Boaz and Ruth had any more conversations and contact during this period of time. All we are told is that Ruth dwelt with her mother-in-law just as she had committed herself to do. Now I have entitled this third section, Naomi Speaks Accurately About Their Situation. In contrast to what Naomi said at the end of chapter 1, when she told the people at Bethlehem, remember, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty again. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord have testified against me, the Almighty have afflicted me. We saw that Naomi was really wrong in her assessment of things. But here in chapter 2, her spiritual eyes were beginning to open. She was now beginning to see that the Lord had not in fact turned his back on them, that the Lord's loving kindness to them has not and will not fail. Now, brethren, there are several lessons that we can learn from a chapter like this. We can certainly learn from the faithfulness and the diligence of Ruth, and we can also learn from the kindness and the generosity of Boaz. But as we close, I'd like us to just focus on the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. The goodness and faithfulness of our God, even when we do not feel or sense it. Yes, if we are God's people, then we must remind ourselves constantly that He is ever with us and He deals kindly with us. May the Lord open our eyes so that we may indeed see what a good God He is and may the Lord grant us tokens of His mercy, parcels of grace to encourage our faith in Him. The Apostle Paul told the Philippians, but my God shall supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we see this wonderfully typified, isn't it, in our text. The Lord supplied the needs of Naomi and Ruth in a truly remarkable way. And he did it through Boaz. Boaz is really a type of the Lord Jesus. But the Lord's 
blessings to the family were by no means exhausted on that first day of work. It continued all through the harvest season and it expanded into something far more wonderful after that. The same is true for us today, isn't it? We experience the Lord's goodness and blessings to us in so many different ways, far more than we are even aware of. And the Lord's Supper is a precious, wonderful reminder of His immense goodness and faithfulness to us. See, just as Boaz gave Ruth bread and roasted grain for lunch so that she would have strength to continue on for the rest of the day's work, so the Lord Jesus gives us bread and wine, even His own body broken for us and His blood shed for us so that we would have the strength to go on in our pilgrim journey, to go on serving Him in His field and in His kingdom. And then beyond His provisions in this present life, the Lord's Supper also reminds us of the greater blessings that await us in the time to come. The Apostle Peter tells us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us. And the Lord Jesus assures us that just as He had gone to prepare a place for us in His Father's house, so He will return to receive us to Himself, that where He is, there we may be also. And we will sit at His table to drink of the fruit of the vine with Him. We read these beautiful words in, in Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, brethren, may our faith be, be helped and strengthened through this story of Ruth, but also through the Lord's Supper. May our eyes be fixed on our heavenly Boaz, even the Lord Jesus, and may we remember His goodness and his faithfulness to us, that he will never depart from us nor abandon us no matter what happens. Thank God for that. Amen. Shall we turn to our third psalm for this morning?